this is SS Nair. Today we are going to deal with the chapter A Gift of Chapels, NCRT Test Book, 7th Standard English. A smiling Rukmani threw open the door. Ravi and Meena rushed out and Ravi pulled Nridu into the house. Wait, let me take off my slippers, protested Nridu. She set them out neatly near a pair of large black ones. Those were grey, actually with dust. You could see the clear mark of every toe on the front part of each slipper. The marks for the two big toes were long and swarming. Mridu did not have much time to wonder about whose slippers they were, because Ravi dragged her to the backyard behind a thick bitter berry bush. There, inside, a torn football lined with sacking and filled with sand lay a very small kitten lapping up milk from a coconut half-shell. We found him outside the gate this morning. He was moving and moving poor thing, said Nina. It's a secret. Amma says party will live for our Padu Mama's house if she knows we have a cat. People are always telling us to be kind to animals, but when we are, they scream, Oh, don't bring the creature here, said Ravi. Do you know how hard it is just to get a little milk from the kitchen? Party saw me with a glass in my hand just now. I told her, I am very hungry, I want to drink it. But the way she looked at me, I had to drink most of it to throw off her off the scent. Then she wanted the tumbler back. Party party, I'll wash it myself. Why should I put you to trouble? I told her. I had to run and pour the milk into this coconut shell and then run back and wash the tumbler and put it back before she got really suspicious. Now we have to think of some other way to feed Mahendran. Mahendran? This little kitty's name is Mandran. Mridu was impressed. It was a real name, not just a cute kitty name, kitty cat name. Actually, its full name is Mandra Verma, Palava Pune, MP Pune for short if you like. He is a fine bred of cat. Just look at his fur, like a lion's mane. And you know what the emblem of the ancient Palava kings was, don't you? He looked expectantly at Mridu. Mridu giggled. Think I am joking? Well, just wait. I will show you sometime. It is clear you don't know a thing about history. Have not been to Mahabliparan, have you? He said mysteriously. Well, when our class went to Mahabliparan, I saw a statue of his Thata Thata Thais, Thata, etc. Fact is, Mandarin here is descended from the very ancient, very same ancient cat, a close relative scientifically speaking, of none other than the lion. The Palava lion, emblem of the Palava dynasty. Ravi went on walking around the bitter berry bush, waving a twig up and down, his eyes sparking. This cat is a descendant of none other than the Mahabalipuram Rishi cat. And if I may just remind you, they worship cats in ancient Egypt. How he loved the sound of his own voice. Meena and Mridu exchange looks. What does that have to do with anything? 
with the demanded ha i am telling you this cat is descendant from the egyptian cat goddess god no goddess bastet yeah that's it so well one of the descendants of the cat goddess was stowed away in one of the palava ships and its descendant was the mahabipuram rishi cat whose descendant is ravi flourish is to get mahendran mp pune year book is very very pleased with himself mahendran looked up alarm he had just been sharpening his claws on the edge of the coconut shell but was then ravi's awful whoop again was a screech from the window what a weird sound if prudu was startled mp pune was frightened after visits hair standing on end he bounced up and scurried towards the bamboo tray of red chilies that had been set out to dry tried to hide beneath it he tipped a few chilies over himself meow he howled miserably the creaking went on and on what is that noise said nirdu that's lali playing to play the violin grunted ravi she will never learn a thing the music master just goes on playing like a train whizzing on and on while lali is all the time derailing going completely off the track second part mridu kept up to the window lali was still sitting a little distance away awkwardly holding her violin and bowstring her elbows jutting out and her eyes glassed with concentration in front of her with most of his back to the window was the bony figure of the music master he had a mostly bald head with a fringe of oil black hair falling around his ears and an old fashioned tuft a gold chain glimmed around his leathery neck and a diamond ring glittered on his hand as he glittered up and down the stem stem of the violin a large foot stuck out from beneath his gold bordered vestic edge and he was beating time on the floor with a scrawny big toe he played a few notes lali stumbled behind him on a violin which looked quite helpless and a pin in hand what a difference the music master's notes seemed to float up and settle perfectly into the invisible tracks of the melody it was like the wheels of train fitting smoothly into the rails and whizzing along as ravi said brudu stared at that huge bearing hand moving effortlessly up the violin stem making lovely music squack there was lali derailing again amma came away from the gate amma oh Ravi sent that beggar away," cried his mother from the back veranda, where she was chatting with Tapi. "He has been coming here every day for the past week, and it's time he found another house to beg from." Pati explained to Tapi. Mrudhi and Mina followed Ravi out. The beggar was already in the garden, making himself quite at home. He had spread his upper cloth under the neem tree and was leaning against his trunk, apparently prepared to take little snooze. while he waited for the arms to appear go away said ravi sternly my pati says it's time you found another house to beg from the beggar opened his eyes wide and gazed at the each of the children one by one the ladies of the house he said at last in a voice choked with feeling are very kind souls i kept my body and soul together on the generosity for a whole week i cannot believe that they would turn me away he raised his voice amma o oh amma said his veil might be but it suddenly was not feeble it began in a deep strong grumble somewhere in his weather valley and came blooming out of his mouth with its few remaining teeth stained brown with bitter chewing 
Ravi, tell him there is nothing left in the kitchen called Rukmani and is not to come up again. Tell him that. She sounded fed up. Ravi did not have to repeat it all to the beggar. What his mother said had been easy for them all to hear there under the nim tree. The beggar sat up and sighed. I will go, I will go. He said wearily. Only let me have a rest under the tree. The sun is so hot, the tar has melted on the road. My feet are already blistered. He stretched out his feet to show large pink, peeling blisters on the sole of his bare feet. I suppose he does not have the money to buy chappals, Nuzun whispered to Meena and Ravi. Have you got an old pair in the house somewhere? I don't know, said Ravi. Mine are too small to feed his feet, or I would have given them to him. And his feet were larger than Nuzun's and Meena's. The beggar was shaking out of his upper cloth and tightening his dhoti. He raised his head, eyes and looked fearfully at the road, gleaming in the surf afternoon heat. He needs something of his feet, Mina said, her big eyes filling. It's not fair, said Ravi. I'm thinking about it, blubbering. It's not fair, it's not fair, it's not going to help. In two minutes, he'll be frying his feet on the road. What he needs is a pair of chappals. So where do we get them? Come, let's search in the house. He pushed Mrudu and Mina into the house. Just he stepped into the veranda, Mrudu's eyes fell on the old, odd-looking chappals. He had noticed when she arrived. Ravi, she whispered to him, Who's are those? Ravi turned and glanced at the shabby-looking but sturdy old slippers. Hibim and nodded. These are just the right size, he said, picking the arm. Mrudu and Mina followed him nervously back into the garden. Here, said Ravi to the beggar, dropping the slippers in front of the old man. Wear this and don't come back. The beggar stared at the slippers, hurriedly flung his towels over his shoulder, pushed his feet into them and left, muttering a blessing to the children. In a minute, he had vanished around the corner of the street. The music master came out of the house and took an unappreciative look at the three of them sitting quietly under the tree playing marbles. Then he searched for his chappals in the veranda where he had put them. Lali, he called after a few moments. She hurried to him. Have you seen my chappals, my dear? I remember having kept them here. Ravi Mrida and Meena silently watched Lali and the music Master searching every corner of the veranda. He is scurried around, looking over the railing and crouching near the flower pots to look between them. Brand new they were. I went all the way to Mount Road to buy them. He went on, saying, They cost a whole month's fees, do you know? Soon Lali went in to tell her mother. Rukmani appeared, looking harassed, with Pati following her. Where could they be? It's really quite upsetting to think someone might have stolen them. So many vendors come to the door, worried Pati. Rukmani caught sight of Ravi, Nudu, and Meena sitting on the tree. Heavy children, she began, and then seeing they were curiously quiet, went on more slowly. Seen anyone lurking around the house, Jalanda? A sharp V-shaped line had formed between high brows. Another straight, tighter one appeared in the place of her usually soft, pleasant mouth. Rukmani was angry, thought Nudu with a shiver. She would not be so upset if she knew about the poor beggar with sore on his feet. She tried to tell herself. Taking a deep breath, she cried, Rukmani, there was a beggar here. Poor thing, he had such boils on his feet. So, said Rukmani grimly, turning to Ravi, you gave the music master's chapel to that old beggar who turns up here? Children these days, one party. Amma, did not you tell me about Karna, who gave up everything he had, even his gold earrings? 
He was so kind and generous. Silly, snapped Rukmani. Ganna did not give of others people's things. He only gave his own. But my chippers would have fitted the beggar's feet. Ravi rushed brashly on. And Amma, if they did fit, would he really not have minded? Ravi said, Rukmani very angrily, Now go inside the house. She hurried indoors and brought out Gopu Mama's hardly worn new chappals. This should fit you, sir. Please put this on. I am so sorry. My son has been very naughty. The music master's eyes lit up. He put them on, trying to look too happy. Where I suppose this will have to do? These days, children have no respect for elders. What to do? A Hanuman incarnate. Only Rama can sell such a naughty fellow. Rukmani's eyes flashed. She did not seem to like this. Ravi being called a monkey, even a holy monkey. She stooped, stood stiff and straight by the front door. It was clear she wanted him to leave quickly. When he clattered off in his new chapels, she said, Mridu, come in and have some tiffin. Honestly, how do you children think of such things? Thank God, your Gopu Mama does not wear his chapels to work. As she walked towards the kitchen with Mridu and Meena, she suddenly began to laugh. But he is always in such a hurry to throw off his shoes and socks and get into his chapel as soon as he comes home. What is the mama going to say this evening when I tell him I gave his chappals to the music master? Vasant Surya from Nudu in Madras, Gochaka Patansal. Thank you. This is the first chapter of the textbook NCRT English Honeycomb. I would like to read it out to you as an audiobook. Three questions. The thought came to a certain king that he would never fail if he knew three things. These three things were what is the right time to begin something? Which people should he listen to and what is the most important thing for him to do? The king therefore sent messengers throughout his kingdom, promising a large sum of money to anyone who would answer these questions. Many wise men came to the king, but they all answered his questions differently. In reply to the first question, some said, the king must prepare a timetable and then follow it strictly. Only in this way, they said, could he do everything at its proper time? Others said that it was impossible to decide in advance the right time for doing something. The king should notice all that was going on, avoid foolish pleasures and always do whatever seemed necessary at that time. Yet others said, the king needed a council of wise men who would help him out, act at the proper time. This was because one man would find it impossible to decide correctly without help from others the right time for every action. But then others said there were some things which could be urgent. These things could not wait for the decision of the council. In order to decide the right time for doing something, it's necessary to look into the future and only magicians could do that. 
the king therefore would have to go to magicians in the answers to the second question some said that the people most necessary to the king were his counselors others said the priest a few others chose the doctor and yet the others said that his soldiers were the most important most necessary to the third question some said science others chose fighting and others religious worship as the answer to his questions were so different the king was not satisfied and gave no reward instead he decided to seek the advice of a certain hermit who was widely known for his wisdom the hermit lived in a wood which he never left he saw no one but simple people and so the king put on ordinary clothes before he reached the hermit's hut the king left his horse with his bodyguard and went on alone as the king came near the hermit's hut he saw the hermit digging the ground in front of his hut he greeted the king and continued digging the hermit was old and weak and he was as he worked he breathed heavily the king went up to the hermit and said i have come to you wise hermit to ask you answers to three questions how can i learn to do the right thing at the right time who are the people i need most and what affairs are the most important the hermit listened to the king but did not speak he went on digging you are tired said the king let me take the spade and work in your place thanks said the hermit giving the king his spade then he sat down on the ground when the king had dug two beds he stopped and repeated his question Dharmit gave no answer but stood up stretching out his hand for the spade and said now you rest and let me work but the king did not give him him the spade and continued to dig one hour passed then another the sun went down behind the trees at last the king stuck the spade into the ground and said i came to you wise man for an answer to my questions if you can give me no answer tell me so and i will return home here comes someone running said dharmit second part the king turned round and saw a bearded man running towards them his hands were pressed against his stomach from which blood was flowing when he reached the king he fainted and fell to the ground the king and hermit removed the man's clothing and found a large wound in his stomach the king washed and covered it with his handkerchief but the blood would not stop flowing the king readdressed the wound until at last the bleeding stopped the man felt better and asked for something to drink the king brought fresh water and gave it to him by this time the sun had set and air was cool the king with the hermit's help carried the wounded man into the hut and laid him on the bed the man closed his eyes and lay quiet the king tired by his walk and the work he had done lay down on the floor and slept throughout the night when he awoke it was several minutes before he could remember where he was or who the stranger strange bearded man lying on the bed was forgive me said the bearded man in a weak voice when he saw that the king was awake i do not know you and have nothing to forgive you for said the king you do not know me but i know you i am that enemy of yours who swore revenge on you because you put my brother to death and seize my property
I knew you had gone alone to see that hermit and I made up my mind to kill you on your way home. But the day passed and you did not return. So I left my hiding place and I came upon your bodyguard who recognized me and wounded me. I escaped from him but I should have died if you had not dressed my wounds. I wish to kill you and you have saved my life. Now if I live, I will serve you as your most faithful servant and will order my sons to do the same. Forgive me. The king was very happy to have made peace with this enemy so easily and to have won him over as a friend. He not only forgave him but said he would send his servants and his own daughter to look after him and he promised to give back the man his property. Leaving the wounded man, the king went out of the hut and looked round for the hermit. Before going away, he wished once more to get answers to his questions. The hermit on his knees sowing seeds in the bats that had been dug the day before. The king went up to the hermit and said, For the last time I beg you to answer my questions, wise man. You have already been answered, said the hermit, still bending down on the ground and looking up at the king as he stood before him. How have I been answered? What do you mean? Do you not see? replied the hermit. If you had not pitied my weakness yesterday and had not dug these bats for me, you would have gone away. Then that man would have attacked you and you have wished you had stayed with me. So the most important time when you were digging the bat. And I was the most important man. And to do me good was your most important business. Afterwards, when the man ran to us, the most important time was when you were caring for him. Because he had not dressed his wounds, he would have died without having made peace with you. So he was the most important man. And what you did for him was your most important business. Remember then, there is only one time that is important and that time is now. It is the most important time because it is the only time we have any power to act. The most necessary person is the person you are with at a particular moment. No one knows what will happen in the future and whether we meet anyone else. The most important business is to do good to that person because we are sent in this world for that purpose and all. Written by Leo Tolstoy. Thank you.